blessings to you in the name of Jesus Christ. This is Pastors for Pastors, the podcast that supports and celebrates the pastors who lead and challenge and comfort us, especially in these difficult times. I'm Ken Broman Folks, a pastor for 40 years who recently retired and feel called to continue the conversation with my sisters and brothers in ministry. If you're a preacher, you're gonna love the program today. It's a conversation with two pastors who come from very different backgrounds and traditions who formed a partnership to help each other become the best preachers they can be. They're friends, as you will be able to tell very quickly as you listen, but they have engaged in what they call a sermon preparation laboratory. That's also something of a playground, sharing the entire sermon preparation process from choosing a scripture passage to reading each other's manuscripts aloud back to the other. To make the story even richer and more wonderful, the Reverend Daryl Aaron is the pastor of the Providence Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, the oldest African-American church in the state. And the Reverend Kim Pretty is the pastor of the Sedgefield Presbyterian Church in Greensboro. I think you're going to be blessed by the joy of their friendship, their partnership in ministry, and their dedication to encouraging each other as preachers. I hope you might also be inspired to identify someone you know to form a sermon preparation laboratory of your own. I asked each of them to begin by giving us a little bit of information about themselves. I heeded the call after I went to UNCG and went into the financial industry, a call that was laid on my heart at the age of 18. Um, went to Wake Forest Divinity School and then served some time. Uh, served time sounds like jail. <laughs> the opportunity to uh, do ministry with First Baptist Church in Greensboro and then landed here at Sedgefield Presbyterian Church. I was born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was a teacher first, uh, then went to seminary. I'm now in my 25th year of ministry. Tell me the story of how you met. We happened to be at a faith leaders council meeting and our very own Diane Givens Moffat said, we should start a lectionary group. So she just said, let's do it. And we started doing it. So that's kind of how we started um, about four years ago. Uh, I'm, I'm caught by the word lectionary. Daryl, I'm, I'm wondering if you, if lectionary preaching is a part of your tradition. It really isn't. I picked up the lectionary really in seminary. And believe it or not, um, when I graduated from seminary, I went back to teaching and I taught debate. And so there was always a debate tournament at Harvard. It was the Harvard uh, in, uh, Invitational Debate, uh, Invitational Tournament. And there I would go see Peter Gomes at, uh, at the chapel every single year. Well, he produced uh, all of his sermons each year. He published them in a book. And he followed the lectionary. And it just, as soon as I got into the uh, pastorate, I was like, oh my God, I got to preach every Sunday. Sunday keeps coming. I need a rhythm. I got to find some kind of pattern. And to this day, um, rare do I step away from the lectionary. When you think about a text, comes in seven days, and you got to put up, you got to bring that, you got to bring that turkey out the oven. 
Mm-hmm. And so often that turkey is not as done as you like. <laughs> what a gift to come back year after year to that text. Mm-hmm. You almost wish you could tell the congregation, can I try this next week? Same text. <laughs> uh, I think you would get a better meal this time. And I love the, the quote from Tom Long. It says, no sermon is ever done. It's just that Sunday comes. Yes. That's exactly right. Tell me what you all do with your sermon preparation. How does, how does this work where, where you, you pick passages and, and move through to the sermon manuscript? So before March 12th, <laughs> the pattern was uh, by Monday morning, um, kind of on our own, we were reading through the, the lectionary uh, passages. Um, by Monday afternoon, we would have picked one. Um, what are you preaching on? And we don't often do not land on the same one. I tend to stay with the Gospels, and uh, Reverend Aaron likes to go back to uh, the Old Testament more than I feel comfortable doing. Um, so by Monday, we this is what I think we're going to pick, and then either Monday afternoon or Tuesday, we kind of just first thoughts on um, what stands out, what's what's speaking to me. Um, so we both, uh, exchange our reading ideas and, Oh, that what you're talking about. I think I've read something about that. I'll, uh, email that to you and that sort of thing. So really the first couple of days just becomes a wonderful introduction kind of thoughts. And then, uh, by Thursday, but now we preach on different days for recordings, but usually by Thursday we were exchanging manuscripts just to get thoughts back. Um, or, or am I staying in my lane? Am I making my point clear? Can someone walk away understanding what the sermon, what the point of the sermon that we were trying to make? Monday morning, uh, according to the, the rules of this engagement, uh, you're supposed to have picked a text. Yeah. Um, and as a result of that, uh, then we started talking about uh, what, what's jumping out from the text. Right. You know, you're marinating in this text and letting it get into your spirit. Um, so much so that this something starts leaking out, um, and so we'll you know we, I use the language um, I'm going to hang my hat on this this angle. Uh, we talk about why we picked a text. Some of it's because we believe our congregation needs to hear this because I'm trying to cast this particular vision. We start talking about, of course, resources that will address the need or the or the theology of the text. Um, uh, we talk about just what else may have drawn us to the text? It may be a personal experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost a week or two or three ago, I can't recall, she said she was on a call with uh, a particular member and she asked him to pray. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this text is dealing with, this week's text is dealing right. with prayer. And so it was a delicious moment yeah. to hear her uh, recast or uh, throw that line out one more time that, you know, my member said this just a few weeks ago. I've been practicing prayer. I know. What was the line? It was more, it was more delicious than that. I've been practicing praying. Oh, yeah. I've been practicing my praying. Yes. 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 Yeah, even personalized. I, we often call it tennis, even though I don't play tennis. But you know, <laughs> she hits the ball across the net, and I hit it back. Right. And we've yeah. got to do this thing. And, it's, um, and somewhere in there, the spirit begins to move. Yeah. And you begin to feel it. I mean, it's a strange phenomenon. And I, I got to say this because I think we're living in times, it's valuable for me to say this. Um, she is white and I am black. And our traditions are different. 
Yes. I don't get to holler. <laughs> yes. She may not get to holler at her church. She gets to holler when she's talking to me. <laughs> I think Monday is probably one of the most valuable days of the engagement. Um, because, I mean, you're hanging your hat on a particular angle of the text. Even when we pick the same text. Oh, different. Where do we pick the same angle? I don't recall ever. Mm-mm. Um, it, I don't want to say it's a competition, but it's like, nope, you can't pick that angle. <laughs> no one ever says it. No That's one ever says that. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, I've ever said that out loud. Right. It's kind of known. Now, all right, now, if I'm going this angle, that doesn't mean that um, a point that I make or she will make will not be similar. Yeah. But, 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 and I think a lot of it is just because our hermeneutics are not always the same. And as a result of that, we, we don't see the text the same. What are the differences in your background, your, your contexts, that um, when you come even at the same passage, as you just said, your hermeneutic is different. Um, talk some about that and, and how the, the, the feedback you get from each other enriches your own hermeneutic. Because we are a white female and a black male, we do... Um, and Daryl being in a Baptist church, he can approach text. Um, he get, He's enlightened me about what it means to truly be suffering and oppression, especially in times when we talk about Black Lives Matter. Um, it's been, it's just flourished in me to have a greater understanding the importance of uh, his voice with his congregation and how empowering it it has to be and hope and it has to push hope. Uh, We kind of joke about being pastors, but we also joke around being hope pushers. Um, I've just learned more about, um, what it really might have been like to be um, one of the oppressed and to hear the scripture um, in a a new light. Not that I can always preach some of the things um, that Daryl will share with me, but it does enrich um, my voice to get another perspective of what the kingdom looks like. Kind of opens your eyes to other things in in that passage that you didn't see or hear before. The gospel was written by marginalized people who started a movement uh, to liberate them. Um, uh, This is a resistance to the empire. And as a result of that, and even with their tenets for me that I look through or see in the Old Testament, uh, uh, these are nomads, wanderers, without a home, These are persons, I mean, the text was literally, I mean, just written by dispossessed, disinherited people. Immediately, my hermeneutics are doing this kind of thing. Well, if you will, same with Kim. Kim is a female. And so inevitably, uh, she has not always been valued in this culture. And so somehow, uh, not somehow, just inevitably, we started to weave this together. We started to see things the same way and yet not the same way. Um, And one of the things we've agreed on early, and I put this on the table, that a sermon is not a sermon until it has some blood on it. Um, And I'm picking up from uh, 
uh, H.B. Uh, Beecher uh, comment around a sermon. And so as a result, uh, even if you do not articulate the blood in the sermon that's personal to you, you still have brought that to the table when you are exegeting and, and writing the sermon, coming up with a sermon claim. Um, so I think that is how we get beyond our differences, and yet we bring our differences to the table, and it becomes uh, almost like a quilt. There were sewing pieces of the cloth together uh, of the large picture of the gospel. Because it, it would be a shame for me to preach a sermon, and I do not address uh, the vulnerability of women in this culture. Well, as, as Kim pointed out, she felt the call to ministry at what, 17? Right. 18, yeah. 18. Yeah. But there was there was no no avenue for you until later, right? Right. There, I just didn't see women in the pulpit. I did not know what a woman's voice sounded like. I just always heard white men from the pulpit up front, and so I didn't even know what women were like. And now it's nice to even hear um my brothers and sister in Christ who are, who are black and to hear their voices now from the pulpit and, and what that means. As Kim likes to hear me say, one of the great interesting things about our tradition is we call it a treasure box, black sacred rhetoric. There are phrases ah. and propositions that, that, was, that are speaking to the, the assurances of God. Uh, one may be called the blessed assurances of God. And Daryl does a great job in his, sermonizing that there's always a call and response in his tradition. So I've, I've tried to introduce some of that into my congregation in, in that it plants scripture deeper into the spirit so that it can be called on when needed. So um, things that they know, scripture that they know, or stories they know, I try to do more of a interaction with it. So you Monday and Tuesday... You've got the, this this tennis match going between the two of you, uh, volleying back and forth your thoughts and resources. And at some point, you told me that you uh, you send your manuscript or at least a rough draft of the manuscript to each other. To yes, which has uh, served two wonderful purposes. One, to um, I learned from Daryl how to protect my weekends to be with my family. Um, especially to hold Saturday as holy. So if we uh, are promising each other manuscripts by Thursday, then I have at least a good start, <laughs> if not a sermon written that will continue to be edited. Um, so we we kind of picked that time so that we could honor our family time. And then secondly, with the objectives of um, is my is is the sermon claim clear? We like to. Um, it's there's nothing more fun than to have an idea through a sermon and to have a congregation member come up to you or text you or see you later and say, "Oh, I'm I'm throwing love seeds or I, I'm pushing hope," and um, so that's fun. To make sure we've stayed in one lane. Did we? Are we dribbling or are we moving uh, towards the point? Um, so it's really helpful to have someone else because I can think it's the best sermon ever. And then Daryl's favorite line back is, it's got potential. <laughs> <laughs> it's got potential. <laughs> but, uh, well, I've been working out this rhetoric around McMichael's sermon claim. Mm -hmm. 
But I want to be able to repeat at least three times for every point that I make, it goes back to the one sentence that I'm trying to establish that this is what this sermon is about. But that, ser- that sermon claim still has to have some poetry to it so people can repeat it. And I may be even doing too much with it, but I'm going to repeat that for them at least four times in that sermon. Yeah. You know, I mean, last week I was trying to work out in, in all of our hard places, there is a soft spot when you know God is with you. You know, ah. well, now that is loaded with a, I mean, that's loaded with a serious piece of theology there. Yeah. Um, but it also is, I think it has what I call uh, transportable. Uh, you can put it in your pocket like a nugget and carry it with you throughout the week. And if yeah. you come upon something that's hard in your life, you say, well, now I've, I've been told that if for every hard spot, I mean, hard place, there's a soft spot when I know God is with me. You know. And what's fun is when he when mm-hmm. he says this is the text I pick and I'm like, well, I just read this. Do with it what you want. Or I throw out praying. And, and I know he read a book that he loves um, around that. And I'm like, hey, can you re- remind me of that? Was it Eugene Peterson or uh, Richard Lister that you were reading that you enjoyed about praying? And so so you, you double your resources to pull from oh, yeah. when you have someone to talk to when you're stuck and you need a story and you need a thought and then uh, he'll just share, you know, here's something from the New York times I read and you're like, boom, it fits. So mm-hmm. it really doubles uh, the resource pool that you get to pull from for sermon ideas. That's I think a, a sweet moment. Even just recently we were talking about her text. She says, you know, one of the challenges I, I think most people have is they think they got to have the right words for prayer. Yeah. So in this text, I think Paul is talking about the, the groaning. You know, when you, you know, you're groaning out, you groan this thing. It's a prayer, but it's not words. And so in our traditions, it's, it's amazing. We were talking about this sort of different traditions, right? So, I mean, that, this is a part of the sacred black rhetoric. Yes. I mean, when I say it, the people automatically will pick it up. If I cannot say a word, I will just, and everybody in the congregation will say, wave my hand. Uh, well, listen, that's the image of a prayer without words. There you go, yeah. Uh, and I learned that today. Perfect. That's brand new. That's, now, that's now in my treasure box. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so, so that's a, a, a wonderful gift, um, I think, that we bring to the table. Yeah. Different tradition. So you, you finally have a manuscript and you told me when we talked before that each of you, does each of you read the other's manuscript back to them? If we have time. If you have time. If we have time, if we've not pushed ourselves back. What in the world is that like to hear the other person read your sermon to you? Can I begin on this one? Sure. <laughs> because I say that, Kim, because I asked him to do it for me the first time. I don't do alliteration with points, but I do offer alliteration in sentence structures. Mm-hmm. So you might hear me say petty and puny pursuits. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I need to hear that out loud, um, even though she will never read the sermon the way I would say it. Right. 
Right. She didn't have the cadence and she's not going to slow it down, pick it up, you know. But you said that she does. You've heard every her. Every now and then, every now and then. Oh, you know what she'll say to me? Uh-huh. Now you need to punch it right here. Or <laughs> <laughs> she'll say, you do not need to be yelling right here. This is where you need to be real soft. I'm like, yeah, but I know if I get happy, that ain't going to happen. But yes, and so when I did that, that just, it set me free. It's in her voice. When she's reading it in her rhythm, um, it, it, it does something for me to say, oh, no, that's a moment that lives. Those words are good enough. Don't, and you know, ain't that sad that sometimes we write a sermon and we think the words are not enough, so we think we got to perform them? Oh yeah, yeah, and you know I tend. What I'm talking about. I I tend to do that. The the weaker the part of the sermon, the more I tend to push it. But when she has she has done that for me, taking away the performance nature of what I may have done in that moment, because I didn't I, like you said, I felt I was fearful that this was not strong, and I just got to get through this part. So I'll you know I'll pump it up a little bit. Um, whereas I just let the words flow. Yeah. Kim, what about you? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, Barbara Brown Taylor says we often write and preach the sermon we most need to hear. And so it is uh, for my spirit to hear, especially a sermon that I know I've written more from the heart, um, to hear Daryl preach it back to me. It, 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 it just sheds light on it in a way that, yeah, I was hoping that, or gosh, no, I missed it. But it, it still does something for my spirit, though, when to hear a sermon. There's something life-giving. It's life-giving. Yeah. I have witnessed a better sermon after I gave it up. I know how many sermons I have preached that were not good because I did not share them with anyone. It's like a I'm not going to turn in an article to be published without somebody reading it to, to edit it. So why would you think that the greatest gift that a preacher offers is a sermon and you're the only one who has seen it before it is delivered? It is fun to work with someone who has preached 25 years and I've preached four years every Sunday because when I took homiletics, nobody shared that with me. I mean, I, I guarded it. And what, what I found curious was I found myself in a Bible study with some of my girlfriends on Friday mornings. And they would indulge me by saying, oh, well, what are you going to preach on, on Sunday? And I found myself, oh, my gosh, I, I can't say what I'm going to preach to you in one sentence. And I'm going to give all and, and these are my closest friends. And I'm going to give this whole sermon on Sunday. And so I came, became more comfortable with saying, well, I want it to make sense and sound good. I want it, I want to offer my best. I want to, I want to offer my best to God and honor the word in which I'm trusted with. And then to have someone, it didn't happen overnight. We've been in a lectionary group for four years. We just now started changing manuscripts within probably the last 12 months. And then really just in the last couple of weeks, exchanging preaching for each other's uh, manuscripts, but we taught a class together in the fall at Wake Forest on um, rituals, funerals, and weddings, and we shared with them 
listen, someone else needs to hear your sermon before you preach it. And, and, and the greatest gift is whether or not, and if they'll give you honest feedback, I have some wonderful people in my life who I, when I was struggling, starting at Sedgefield with my first sermons, you know, does this make sense? And, and all of them wanted the best for me, but they always said, Oh, that's good. That's good to find someone who will say, you haven't stayed in one lane. You're all over the place is, is a better gift than someone just saying, Oh, I'm pulling for you. (laughs) You're doing good. Um, and it there are times it hurts. I mean, only one time has Daryl ever said, I'm going to preach that sermon. Like he, Freaks of the Spirit, I did this sermon. He goes, I'm going to preach this one on Sunday. The other ones have potential. So um, it, so it's fun, it, it's fun, but it's hard. I mean, it was hard in the beginning, but to know at the end that I am honoring the best I can with the text I'm giving and the times in which we're giving for someone to say, to encourage you, because we want the best for, our, for each other and our congregations to hear the good news. Well, Ken, I think you, you're, you're, you're dancing around something that is just obvious, though. What? Preachers are insecure. Oh, gosh, yes. Congregations make us insecure. Yes. Because uh, they're grading you. <laughs> there's, there's nothing, and however you want to call it. Yes. There's nothing worse for someone to say, that's a bad sermon. And so as a result of that, we hold everything to our chest. Mm-hmm. Um, who is it to say that some of this uh, risk-taking that she and I have done with one another mm-hmm. is that out of, it may be coming out of our marginalized positions mm-hmm. And it's easier to trust each other in that category. Um, maybe it may be because this distance that we do have with one another. She's over there in a Presbyterian church, white church. I'm over here in a black Baptist church. Uh, there can't be any competition. Right. She's not, I, I'm not going to take her members. She's not going to take my members. <laughs> you know? um, so I, and I'm putting that on the table deliberately because... There's a lot of insecurity among preachers. And we don't, and I, she's right, we just got here. I think this letting somebody listen to it, I think that's because of the pandemic. Ain't no, I don't have anybody here. I've been listening to my sermon. So, you know, it's good well, to hear somebody read my sermon, you know. And nobody's talking about, hey man, preach, Reverend. You know? um, but, but, yeah, we're both but, preaching to empty sanctuaries, yeah. so it is nice. Yeah. Because of where we are to do that. Well, we used to just, at the beginning, it was only a paragraph. Mm-hmm. Then it was the introduction. Yes. You know, yeah. I would, you know, we'd just send the first two paragraphs. And I can tell you, when somebody says, this is good, it's like, okay, da 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 I can go now. I can run now. But if she tells me, you know, I just don't know about that, that introduction. I'm going, oh, God, I thought that was, you know, not, but... You know, you do have to jettison it sometime and, and, and find something else that will help you stick to the lane. I know I still have so far to go. And why not you utilize this moment and colleagues as a laboratory to get better? And one of the greatest gifts 
for me is a line that Daryl once shared with me when I was last year or two is, you know, Ken, they keep getting up and getting dressed to come hear you preach, which was a gift because we can get so discouraged. Um, and he reminded me that people do really do get up and get dressed and come worship with me on Sunday morning. But it ought to humble us too, because that's a miracle. Yes. yes. That people got up for all the places they could go. Yes. They got up to, I mean, dressed up too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to go here, you do that one more time and you miserably flunked last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've been using the word engagement. Uh, y'all been using the word relationship, but I think there's an operative word we should label this. Um, I think it's preaching laboratory. Oh gosh, yeah. Because we have relationships with a whole lot of preachers, um, but this is sermon prep. If you label it the right label, others will be encouraged to go identify someone in their lives and establish this engagement, you know, uh, rather than they got enough friends to talk about sermons, but it's not sermon prep. Yes, it's a laboratory, and we've also called it sometimes a playground where we get to honestly bring imagination to the text. But it has been a wonderful laboratory. It's been, it has been a safe space. Um, There is a sense of trust just because you both honoring your calling. The greatest gift I ever got was to find someone who taught me, you are going into the wilderness and you're going into the wilderness with someone you trust who, who wants the best for you to preach as well as you can preach. We work hard at it. And I just think it's worth the work. There are Sundays we'd have just wanted to say something good. (laughs) (laughs) And thank God now, every now and then we do offer the good news. I feel like somebody ought to give the benediction as a good stop. (laughs) (laughs) What a benediction and a blessing it was to spend time with these two wonderful pastors. I hope you found it as inspiring and enjoyable as I did. If you did, please be sure to share this program with your friends, with your pastors, and with your friends who are pastors. And if this podcast has offered something positive to you, would you do something positive for us? Subscribe and give a positive rating. That will make it easier for other pastors to find us when they're searching for a podcast like this. I'm Ken Broman, folks. Thank you again for joining us for this edition of Pastors for Pastors. <laughs>